Brooklyn Emerging Voices Fellowship is a literary mentorship that provides new writers the tools to launch a professional writing career. Emerging Voices is the most amazing program that allows the writers to develop. It's the opportunity to have my work in the world, to get to the truth of my writing, to know that what I'm writing matters. That was on purpose, guys. All right. Uh, welcome back to the Emerging Voices podcast. It is episode 008. I like to throw in those two zeros. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And we're here with 2014 EV Victor Vazquez. Hey, Victor. Hey, hey. Uh, originally from LA, you are the son of Mexican immigrants. Spanish yes. is your first language. You have two bachelor's degrees in the creative arts. You've worked at Center Theater Group, the Pasadena Playhouse, and Cornerstone Theater Company. You were a Penn Fellow, a Lambda Literary Emerging LGBT, I added the QI writer. Yes. And now you're the casting director or a casting director? I'm the. The. The casting director, line producer, member of the artistic team at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C., and you're a master's candidate at the University of Oxford. 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 Perhaps you've heard of it. <laughs> it's a tiny school in jolly yeah. old England. Yeah, it's brand new. All right. So a year ago, I looked at. I was kind of like looking at your at your uh, you know the interwebs and some info about you, and I saw that almost a year ago today you were doing a meet and greet at the Actors Center for Arena Stage in DC. Yeah. So tell us what you're doing back in the land of Lost Angels. So I uh, have been gone from L.A. for two years now. I moved uh, to Washington, D.C., and I split my time between D.C., New York, uh, and the U.K. Uh, But I'm back in uh, L.A. because I'm doing an observership at Lionsgate in Santa Monica. Oh, Lionsgate. Yeah. I I feel like I've heard that name, too. Yeah. Can you tell me what They make some movies and some TV. Oh. Yeah. You know. Okay. I want to pause for a second. I want to pause for a second. Great. Listen, I'm not, I don't know where here is, but I'm not there yet. So (laughs) let's pause that. No, no. So yeah, I'm doing observership. It's two weeks. It's with the vice president of current programming, Lee Holland, a very, very generous um, exec. Um, And I get to see what uh, it's like to be um, really behind the tables um, as a decision maker in uh, television at a studio. So uh, we're going to come back to this, obviously, because I'm so fascinated by it. And I feel like as uh, we kind of talked a little bit when you first arrived, uh, it's, it is kind of this full circle that you've actually arrived at Lionsgate and this is what you're doing and you're working with Lee Holland. Um, but tell us, basically, I want you to tell us your origin story. Like, did you always know you were going to be a writer? What did that look like for you? Yeah, so um, I grew up in L.A. Uh, My parents both migrated here from Mexico uh, when they were teenagers. Um, Spanish is my native language, like you said. I played sports. I played, like, five different sports. I played hockey, football, soccer, tennis, swimming. Okay. For, like, ten years. Okay. Um, And so my family is... The arts is not really something we practice. Why so many sports? Because my mom and my dad are, like, we're just... I don't know. They they just really wanted their kids to be, like, sports-driven and to have things to do. Okay, cool. You know? Mm-hmm. So my brother also played a ton of sports. Um, and it wasn't until I was really 17 years old that, you know, the boy I had a crush on in high school I had a free ticket to see The Lion King. 
at the Pantages that I first discovered what like a creator can do. Right. Right? Yeah. So like this idea of like a creator, not just a writer, but like really somebody with a sort of artistic vision and voice, what what they can actually do. Yeah. And so it blew my mind. And I was like, who's Julie Taymor? What what does she do? How does she create this? Um, I don't think she wrote it, but it was more so of like this sort of vision come to life. Right. And you know, I've I've always been uh, a sort of like emo writer when I was a teen. I mean, who's not? Right. But um, I think it was really that that cracked me open. And I thought, oh, wow, um, I could do something that is creative. Right. So my origin story is... I think by way of theater yeah. that I got to see writing up on its feet. Yeah. And uh, it was the first time that I, you know, sure you go to English class, sure you read novels and sure they, they have impact on you. Uh, but it was the moment that I, I started really seeing what writing could be on its feet. Right. So it was yeah. like the integration of, of the writing, the acting, the everything. Yeah. It was, it was, it was the story yeah. come to life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. did you, so, so you left the Lion King and then were <laughs> you so, so thirsty for more theater? Like what did, what happened? Yeah. So I, I thought, I thought I would be interested in like a life and in, in law. Okay. Uh, and, really? uh, I thought <laughs> I was 17. I mean, okay, I was like, yeah. what do you do? do you know How what? do you make money? You go be a lawyer. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. So, so the one thing that I have that I've carried around with me for like 20 years is my, uh, school, like my mom made that like school plan like first grade here's all your report cards and like your class photo and blah 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 and it's like what do you want to be and it was like teacher 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 model and then it was like going into a career in law so I think that is something that especially when you have parents that I don't know if your parents had higher education mine did not nope so it was like you're either gonna be a doctor or a lawyer like there were no other jobs yeah yeah I mean it makes sense right I didn't do that obviously (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think um, it really goes back to one of those moments where, like, it was a pivotal moment also when I was 17, right before the Lion King moment, that I was accepted to this, like, summer camp for the junior statesmen, right? It was like every high school or every other high school would nominate one student to go to Pepperdine University to go uh, study law for a a summer uh, at at the college level. And so I was sent from my school as a representative. That's amazing. and so I'm in I'm in this sort of program with all these people that have totally different lives than I do, right. like to the point where like you know during lunch someone's like oh you know yes my father is taking out the yacht for the summer right you know like those kind of kids yeah and uh, <laughs> the kids you're at Oxford with well <laughs> yes and no I could talk about that later okay but um but it, there was a moment where there was a guy there was a, there was this like, every single day we had a different sort of presentation or lecture. And one of the uh, lecturers, his thesis was why we should enforce borders, border security. Yeah, and this yeah. was, I don't know, to, to, you know, like I, how long ago? A while. A long time Listen, ago. Nobody needs to know how old. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I can't even do the math. <laughs> but it was a long time ago. And it was um, it was a moment where like at the end of his sort of TED talk, yeah. right? It was really like yeah, that yeah. kind of style. The entire auditorium, I'm talking about like 300 students, stood up and gave him a standing ovation. And listen, I'm. it's not that I'm, that it's not like that I think that all doors should be open and everybody should be able to travel the world. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, I do think that. But the fact that everybody 
stood up and gave that person a standing ovation and i was the only one sitting back thinking did i not did i miss something right like why are we also pro you know being insular being locked down being closed off to the world yeah uh my parents are here because they migrated here and i'm here because they migrated here why are we such why are we against immigrants yeah uh, and what did it the was rest of that audience look like? Was it was predominantly it a bunch of white? white yeah. Predominantly white, wealthy, you know, yeah, yeah, a yeah. different total class, um, enough resources to be able to send, be sent there for the summer. Right. And I, it was a moment that it opened my eyes, and I thought I can't exist in this field. Right. Law is not where I do my work. Okay. And after seeing The Lion King, you know, and 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 I know, right? I just love it. After after just if, like being exposed to story, if it was like cats, I, it would, would, be, would be terrible. <laughs> I've never seen it, but I have no interest. I also don't think The Lion King's a masterpiece, you guys. But also, like you know, it was I was it was the first thing yeah, that I ever seen. Right. I was so, so excited to see The Lion King at Pantages, and I'm not right. lying. Okay. But, but 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 I guess what my the point was there the lesson uh, at the end of my teens right before college started was where is my voice needed. And where can I do the most work? I didn't see enough of an colleague, an, enough colleagues mm-hmm. in law. Okay. And I wanted to enter a different field. And so yeah. I thought writing, writing can do that. Yeah. Being a creator of stories yeah. can give me legitimacy to be able to tell my story or stories that I know or stories that I'm interested in to help people sit down. Like, you're standing up for the wrong thing. And so I, it was a moment where I, I, I felt like I, I acknowledged the power that could be possible in, in a writer's voice. Yeah. So how did your parents feel about the shift? Like, no more lawyer, we're going to have a writer. You know, my parents are completely, they're so supportive. Um, right from the beginning. Yeah. I think uh, they're more excited by the possibility that somebody in their family, uh, you know, in our family, could potentially rise to an occasion to be able to tell story. Yeah. Is story an important part of your of being in your family? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, nobody in our lineage has had that possibility. Yeah. yeah. You know, I come from a family of, like, shoemakers. Yeah. And, like, legitimately, like, th- th- my grandfather is a shoemaker. His father is a shoemaker. Right. His grandfather was a shoemaker. Right. So, um... Or is personal narrative a way that you related to each other? Was that something that, like, you sit around the dinner table and you tell stories about each other and there's family lore and that kind of stuff? Totally. Yeah. There's, there's like, this sort of myth, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, everybody has a total different story about how they, they, they went on an epic journey to get to this country. Right. So... That's amazing. It's, it's sort of like, you know, they all have their own hero's journey. Right. And my mom's hero's journey is, like, she was 11 years old and she... There's actually three different stories that sort of compete about what is actually factual okay. about her sort of migration story. Because, like, my grandma has a story about it. Yeah. My mom has her own perspective on it. But as an 11-year-old, yeah. her sister has a different perspective of it. Yeah. So it's, like, this idea that, like, there, there is no one true sort of uh, uh, history. Right. That we all sort of fight about what actually happened and uh, and everybody has their own take. Yeah. 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 So, so what did your brother go to college also? So, um, I have th- four siblings. Okay. I'm one of five. Okay. Um, I have three brothers and one sister. Okay. My older brother dropped out of college. My younger brother dropped out of college. Okay. 
And my little sister's just applied to college. Okay. Nobody in my family has completed a college degree. Right. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, you know, even, even with my sort of impulse to go to grad school, um, I've known that I wanted to go to Oxford for seven, seven years before I filled out that application. Okay, so we're skipping ahead because I'm so excited by it. Like, I'm so interested in this because yeah. I feel like as a writer, like, we have these benchmarks that we all like these dreams of things that we want to do or accomplish or of what you could achieve and I feel like you you know that's to, to me that's kind of like the journey to Oxford for you but when you went to college and got your undergrad let's talk about that so what did you choose what did you study where did you go I went to UC Irvine I got into their English I, I was in it was going to it was an elected English major because okay. I thought law was going to be the thing, right? right? Um, but then when I was there, I added drama. I tried the acting path, quickly realized that was of no interest to me. Um, I just wasn't passionate about it. Yeah. And uh, found myself in writing. Yeah. Uh, writing and directing. And um, so I did a double major, double emphasis in writing and directing. And I got to sort of create and curate my own program between the School of Humanities and the School of the Arts and Drama. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I charted out my own thesis. I wrote my own play, and and really dug in into what it means to be a writer during undergrad. Yeah. yeah. And was it was it was television or film ever like the end goal? Was it always the end goal? Was it something you thought about? Did you want to be a playwright? Yeah, I think playwright was the most obvious thing to me at the time. Okay. Um, because you know, studying drama, reading a ton of plays. Um, uh, finding a way that poetry actually correlates and opens the door to drama okay. and script writing yeah. was, 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 was definitely a thing for me in undergrad. But um, it was more so afterwards and being in L.A. and uh, doing the Penn uh, yeah. Emerging Voices Fellowship, asking the question really about sustainability. Yeah. So when I was a Penn Fellow... Which okay, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> trying to stay linear Great. here in our spot in the um supplies closet yeah, yeah uh victor and i are sitting on couch cushions in the supply closet because it's the quietest place we could find in the office it's very comfy so if you hear a toilet flush it's because the pipes are over our heads uh they're all the, they're working on the metro outside so you know we're we're getting it done guys so pen america emerging voices fellowship 2014 tell us how you got here how did you learn about it how, why did you apply how did you apply were you always writing poetry this whole time yeah okay yeah how did i find out about it so i graduated in 2011 okay. from undergrad okay i did five years in case you're interested in the math okay um it took me an extra year um why did it take you an extra year because i was a double major and double emphasis right. and so it just it was, was a lot of classes, was a lot of classes. Yeah. and i had to work almost full time during right. throughout it all to what did really you do while you were working I, I worked at a coffee shop and then i worked as a personal assistant um to uh to a young man with cerebral palsy okay which really changed my life yeah i came out of um of undergrad started working immediately at center theater group in downtown los angeles was like my first sort of real job like a salary and health benefits and you know i had to wear a tie and oh it was that kind of thing they wanted you to wear a tie yeah it's very corporate yeah. <laughs> um and uh you know how to really define what 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 how i wanted to exist in a sort of job like yeah. who who i am as a queer latinx 
uh, individual within this sort of uh, very uh, predominantly white institution. Right. Um, and so during that time was like, I really was frustrated because I, this question about how do you lean into your creativity? How do you lean into how to, you know, your unique self, um, was really a big question. So it took me about two and a half years to start holding in each hand, how I can have a job and a career and practice my craft. Okay. Right, and how those two things can sometimes fight each other, totally. but how I can actually fight to, to create a balance between the two. Okay. And so during that that time, while I was thinking about it, I was looking at programs that would really allow me to um, to really dive deeper into uh, the writing community. Yeah. And so I was in and Los still Angeles. Be able to work. Yeah, and yeah. still be able to work, and it wasn't grad school. And I didn't have to take time away from my life yeah. or my job yeah. because it's not a, it, I, I don't have that, I didn't have the privilege to like just take time off. Right. Right. Which and I think so many writers don't. And I think that totally. a lot of programs forget that. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you, you, we need to pay the bills. Yeah. We need somewhere to live. Yeah. We need food. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. need transportation. Food. food is so important. Yeah. I love food. So it's, you know, but also, yeah. So it, it took me a while to find programs that really supplied that in Los Angeles and I think Pen Pen Emerging Voices was really so unique that it's checked off all the boxes for me. Had you taken classes at UCLA in the extension writers program? Never. I didn't even know that was a possibility. Okay. I didn't even know it existed. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you you're not sure how you found the application, but you applied and you were accepted. Yeah. And uh, you were paired with mentor um, Douglas Kearney, right? Who is this magical poet that I'm sure many people in our audience are Brilliant. aware of, yeah. And who now lives in Minnesota, and we shed a tear about this sad fact. Yo, Doug. Yo, Dougie, Doug. <laughs> so tell us about your EV experience. Like, tell us about your cohort. I don't know. Just start somewhere. Yeah. So it uh, blew me. It, it blew me up. Like, I just, uh, I, I didn't know what it was like to actually be a part of a literary community. Right. I didn't even know that was possible. Right. Um, and so to really dive deep into the EV program, um, not only did I have a cohort to lean into, but, you know, every Monday night we were listening to writers um, talk about their writers, their, their, their lives as writers and as humans. Right. And you know what, how they sort of forge their own path because there is no one way to do this. Right. Um, and so it was, it was beautiful to get the kaleidoscope of, 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 of paths. Right. And to then pick them apart and, and, and say, how does, how do I exist or how can I exist as a writer? Right. And, and so what it did for me really is that it, it sort of gave me the ingredients to create my own recipe right? and to try it out that way. I was thinking of it as a sewing thing. Like you pull it apart and then you sew your patches together to make the quilt. Totally. But I like your recipe. I mean, whichever yeah. one, <laughs> yeah, right? You like can get under my quilt and yeah, eat Yeah, and eat my food. Yeah. But, uh, but every single time a, a writer showed up on Monday nights for us, I always had a question about sustainability. Okay. Like... How do you sustain a life as a writer? Right. Right? The sort of idea that in order to be a writer, you must um, entertain misery. I uh, did not entertain that. Right. I did not like it because, yeah. you know, I look at, uh, at sort of the 
uh, the story of my ancestors and the story of 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 the of my elders and i think you know there's been enough misery right. in this in this lineage well, I like and i do not need to continue that yeah and that i want to use everything that they've given to me and say that i deserve just like they all did to come from a place of abundance yeah and uh my questions were always like how do you have family yeah how can you pay your bills how can you buy a house yeah um how can you live a life where you're not constantly fighting to survive right and as a poetry as a poetry fellow i think that you kind of realize that you, there's no full-time poets no and yeah. like i i was not interested in academia yeah you know i i think for me poetry was was a window mm -hmm. uh into the world it equipped me with the 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 craft that is necessary to really crack open what writing can be right, right. efficiency voice rhythm dialogue the blank on the page silence yeah all these sort of um uh you know um skills that you can apply all across the the, the sort of spectrum of writing and so right. with my my background in drama you know poetry and drama for me go in hand hand in hand right and so i quickly started realizing that you can actually read a script or write a script with with the element of poetry in it interesting not not so much of like the the, the like on the nose poetry right. but but the idea that this is a skeleton um that needs to be filled in that needs to be given life that needs to be given breath and and that that you can orchestrate that or that a director can orchestrate that um and put it up on its feet and you can still tell story through it I love that because I've only read a couple scripts and I've had a friend who was like, hey, can you read this and tell me if it's good? And I was like, I can read it, but I have no idea if it's good because yeah. like I've never read one before and I don't know. So it'd be interesting to me to read an actual, like a good script. Oh my God. I feel like I, I read today. I read two scripts. Okay. Like I read like 10 scripts a week sometimes. So I'm just like, I'm so baffled that you're like, you, you're like oh, I read like a couple of scripts. Well, I think that that's something that it's, it's very interesting with, with, Emerging Voices is like we have had such an emphasis on uh, literary writing that you apply in three genres that it's either poetry, fiction, creative nonfiction. Yeah. And it's almost as if we have kind of really kept that the, the film industry and yeah. the television industry very separate because it's like so many things are happening in the city that are based on the film and the television industry and we have this tiny thing that's like l literary literary listen and like literary is present in in script format too yeah right so so this idea that you know poetry uh fiction uh creative nonfiction, um i think that's it for right? us that's all we <laughs> but, but 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 sort of like, like that that these are the pillars right. of the writer's life is sort of elitist to me. Oh, I totally agree. And and you know so so speaking of elitism, um, Oxford, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm connecting these two things right now. But um, I I have absolute faith in you. Great. Yeah. So um, one of the actual really remarkable revolutionary things that Oxford is doing with their writing program 
is that they actually believe that a writer is a writer, period. Mm. Okay. So in my cohort, I'm one of 25 students. Yeah. I am not a tokenized uh, Latinx guy. Great. Right? Like, yeah. many American programs, I would be that. Right. I was going to ask um, you that. Yeah. But in, in, in this program at Oxford, every single continent, of course, except for Antarctica, is represented in my yeah. cohort. Wow. Uh, you know, I have colleagues from Mexico City, Peru, Italy, Spain, Jamaica, Nigeria, Australia, um, you know. Any just, Canadians? No Canadians. <laughs> hey, no Canadians. Not yet. Oh, my God. But, I got to but, 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 but there's everyone is, um, is exploring a different genre. Right. So we're all taking classes collectively together with like poets, novelists, essayists, uh, memoirists, um, uh, you know, podcast writers. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah. You know, because that's a thing. That's a thing. Um, uh, Short story writers. Yeah. (laughs) Short story writers, um, dramatists for television, stage, film. Wow. So like this idea that a writer is a writer, period, um, is actually a really beautiful thing for me. wonderful. And... um, that 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 you can receive notes um in workshop from a poet mm. despite the fact that you've written a television script mm-hmm. because their perspective is actually very everyone's perspective is attuned yeah. to a certain kind of quality yeah. um think of it as a different type of instrument in orchestra totally but they're still providing a a really adequate beautiful note yeah right and so i have found this program to be completely tremendous and completely unique and customized to my desires yeah as to how i want to exist as a writer in the world yeah this idea of like as writers we can be global yeah and that we are and should and can be and should be allowed to not just write an essay but then write up a, a novel yeah uh, and, and 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 journalism and yeah and that we should also could also make a quick transition into maybe taking our essay and making a, a, a TV series out of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You know that that's happening all over the place. Right, yeah. Like, you know, at Lionsgate, I, I you know, um, there are and uh, I probably I'd signed an NDA, but <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to give specific details. But you know, there are articles from like Vanity Fair, yeah. Esquire, yeah. like you know, the New Yorker that are being optioned to be written into TV series. Yeah. Well, it's an exciting like, thing, too, about Emerging Voices is, like, now there's 146. There's going to be 151 after 2019's up. It's all these ideas that we have and all these short stories and all these essays and even people that don't get to the end of a collection or a novel or a memoir, they do have these roots of an idea that is, like, are ripe for being pulled out of the soil, you know? Yeah, and, 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 and who are we to dictate how that tree should grow? Yeah, and so, I love it. Yeah. So talk about your relationship with Doug and then your UCLA class, because then the UCLA class kind of segues into yes. Lionsgate. And grad school. Yeah. So um, Douglas Kearney is a tremendous uh, mentor. Mm-hmm. You know, I th- the way that the pen uh, EV works is that there's a sort of matchmaking service, I like to think, mm-hmm. that that you are uniquely matched with a mentor that um, that compliments that you. compliments yeah. you, and uh, Doug just was was so pivotal uh, to me. Not only is he was is he uh, you know a man of color, uh, just as I am, but m- our work really centered around the idea of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And so for me, 
one of the things I write about a lot is fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And really it's because I'm, I'm afraid of it. Right. I am afraid of what it means to be a father. Yeah. And he has an entire collection about fatherhood. And so really our, our, our connection was not, not about being, you know, men of color and writers, but it was more so about how do we tackle that which we are afraid of in our writing. Yeah. And um, he gave me such permission to just play in my voice before I even knew what my voice was. Right. You know, and to get messy and to, you know, not necessarily not let it make sense, but just try and be daring. Yeah. Um, and so that permission really opened me up to to dive deeper into into the topics that i that i i sort of gravitate towards do you Um, think that um like he's such a performer too and do you think that helped oh yeah your the performative aspect of your work because i will say uh one year pen we we do uh the noho lit crawl and everybody gets to pitch an idea and one year for pen we had this idea was actually my idea and I'm going to take credit for it. Um, it was a spin on Tinder. So we called it Spinder and, uh, we had three or four writers and, and the audience was like going to choose whether they, they were to swipe left or to swipe right on the writer. And you generously agreed to be one of the performers and you, everyone was to write a profile and you did this amazing thing where you had this kind of, like you, you wrote this this profile in this letter, but then the person that you were dating at the time was in the audience and became part of the performance, and it was like the coolest thing I've ever seen. So, do you think that like that performative aspect of your writing also like kind of played off of Doug and? Yeah, I mean Doug is, uh, you know, you can call him a spoken word artist in, a way, in a way, right? Yeah. Like he's he's got um, such uh, a unique quality where he really gets hooks his audience yeah um and so when i remember when um when when we were first meeting he um he said you know victor um continue to write and continue to do this and um people are going to want to invite your energy not only on the page but off the page into the room and you know he's like you 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 don't have to fit into the cliche that a writer is you know um uh a whisper or right, a sort of right, like yeah. private, yeah. you know, um, like the quiet wallflower. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's okay too. Right. Cause some right? of us are like, and that. that's, I am too. And like in the one person, you can be both things. And I, mm-hmm. uh, I'm an introvert and an extrovert, but when it comes to like a sort of performance aspect, I, it has to be scripted for me. Right. Like I, I have to th- really, really meditate on it. And yeah. so, um, he really gave me per- permission to just lean into what it means to, lean into the dramatics yeah. right um to the spectacle to the performance not not so that it sort of overcompensates for the quality of the writing right. i don't believe that but yeah. like the, the that it complements the craft yeah and so i um that 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 invitation um was was huge for me yeah because because i always i always have a fear about how i fit in into the literary circles the literary establishment yes right yeah. like i th- are there many me's are there people like me yeah. i don't know you know it's like it's it's how how do i want to use this voice and i battle with that even still like i talk to my therapist about it you yeah. know I, I i i talk to my therapist about how 
what do I want to do with my microphone? Yeah. What do I want to say? Do I want to piss people off? And how do I say the things that need to be said in a way that's going to be the most inviting? Yeah. And the and, most impactful. And the most impactful. Yeah. And, and then not work from a place of fear. Yeah. Right? So, like, I know I'm skipping again, but, like, at Oxford, and I say this because, like, I know probably every single person that has been through a master's program in writing has horror stories. Yeah. Right? I, I, I said a lot of great things about the program, but, you know, nonetheless, there's still things that, that are tremendously challenging where as a queer POC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, a writer, I say things in the room and workshop where, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, Oh, uh, why aren't there more women writers on this, on this curriculum? Yeah. You know, or how do we feel about this, this writer telling a story of a community outside of himself when the record shows X, 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 X. Right. And um, I was pulled into a room by professors who told me that there were reports from students that I was making them feel uncomfortable and that I tend to lean into the political yeah. and that um, I am angry. Okay. And, you know, that, that Doug and I would talk about that. Yeah. Doug and I would talk about what it means to, to use our voice and to perform and to reach everybody in the room, but mm-hmm. sometimes it might piss people off. Right. Right. Of course. And so for me, it's, it's, you know, even just having somebody like him as a mentor prepped me for future conversations where I can say, you know, thank you. But me being at the table is already political enough because, because there are not many people like me at there the table. Enough me and so the table. anything I say is going to be aggravating yeah, because I am sort of opening the, that, that sort of status quo totally. up to, yeah. to, to include more, yeah. more people, you know? So I battle with that all the time and it was really it's like just your presence is uncomfortable to some extent. Totally. Yeah. You know, and I, I think even, even him as a black writer talking about fatherhood. Yeah. Holy cow. Like yeah. that's like, you know, that's needs to be done. And that voice is so necessary. So what do you think about how did Emerging Voices prepare? How did Emerging Voices cradle you to some extent? Because I've heard, you know, Soleil David uh, went to Indiana as soon as she got out of uh, EV. And I think it was a lot of culture shock. The lack of culture was a lot of culture shock. Um, Do you think that EV cradled you or held you in a way that you weren't particularly held at, like, say, UC Irvine or going into other... Uh, literary communities. Totally. It, it, it really pulled back the curtain. So one of the components of the EV fellowship is the, the free courses at UCLA. Yes. Um, where every... Donated by UCLA. Yeah, yes. where yes. every like Wednesday or Thursday night you're in class, mm-hmm. right? And the evenings. Uh, once a week, um, nonstop. And what that did for me is that it, it, it really created this um, rhythm and rigorous practice, ongoing practice, right? And so after the fellowship was over, I continued to take courses at UCLA on my own dime. Mm-hmm. Like I became a student and I funded those classes. Yeah, you know, I, I no, I yeah. paid the $650 yeah. every quarter to continue taking the classes but I started pivoting into television writing. Yeah. 
do you think that is because it, it, part of that too is the idea of like abundance and uh, what's the word that you use like to make sustainability? sustainability? Yeah, I for me it was um, I I really started thinking about um, who I'm writing for. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I saw so clearly a lot of the writers in our program and in the in the in the Monday evening sort of uh, professional writers that would come in. Yeah just knowing so distinctively who their audience is, like who they're writing for, right? Um, And I quickly decided that the people I'm writing for are are actually the people that can pay, you know, $9 a month for a subscription to a Netflix. Love it, yeah. Or can tune into television or are watching TV yeah. or are talking to their friends about the TV show. That's how they're interacting with story. So yeah. their interaction with story is on a, a bigger sort of scale. Yeah. And I was so blown away by that because I thought, okay, you know, sure, there's a th- reading is important. I am a huge reader and I advocate for the continuous culture of 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 readerships right we all need to keep reading guys yes not saying that but but what i'm saying is that the consumption of story is 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 going through a a total renaissance Mm -hmm. where really great stories are being told digitally yeah through streaming platforms on televisions on your phones on your ipad on on the computer yeah you know, at your friend's house, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted to put my finger on that. And I thought, I want a little boy who is not sure how to accept their queerness to be able to see themselves on the screen. Yeah. And and to know that people like him or them are are possible in the future right you know or are are, are living lives out there yeah and i don't need them to go buy that book or to be afraid to go buy that book in front of other people right to to be able to access my story yeah and so i wanted to get in front of millions of viewers yeah and so my that's my goal my goal is to write story for for digital platform that can put it in front of a lot of eyes and that's amazing and the poetry, I think, like, being a poet informs everything. There's so many poets now, too, that are writing memoirs, and they're amazing. And the most amazing personal essays that I'm reading are written by poets. And it's a, it's really this idea of um, inquiry, right? I think poetry, like much like most writing, allows you to really develop the muscle for inquiry. Yeah. And uh, in all sort of writing, you need that that muscle in order to either apply it to images metaphor action scenes dialogue efficiency you know the sort of economy of a story yeah and uh poetry i think it's such a gateway not enough people read poetry right um well it teaches you i think nuance too right like how to say things without saying them and i think you're doing that a lot with scripts and oh, screenwriting. dialogue and even just like how you sort of match one image to the next yeah right yeah and it, it, i i well, the other thing that really draws me to television is collaboration mm-hmm. is this idea that you're not in this alone right and me as a sort of like a person that 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 has existed in in, in team sports in in drama yeah 
even when you were in Emerging Voices, you were hosting the like the Sunday night writing group or Oh yeah, I was doing graduated. I was doing um yeah. I was I was I opened up my my apartment on Sunday mornings for yeah, yeah, like yeah. for giant writing time. Table. Yeah. I know because I almost Yeah, it we was were like almost a, roomies for a, a minute. giant table <laughs> and you know I provide coffee and it's like Wi-Fi and you don't have to worry about parking yeah. and you just can come and write for four hours yeah. if you wanted to. Yeah. And, I, and so this idea of community yeah. is actually super important to me. Yes, EV showed me that it's possible to op- extend your community yeah. and, and invite new people into the mix. The impulse was to continue that. Yes. And and I didn't want to go home and write alone. Right. And so, you know, existing in a collaborative form where you can be in the writer's room, uh, where you can collaborate with a director or... Um, with other writers yeah. with you know to 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 help tell the story yeah. is the most exciting to me because yeah. i'm not i'm not precious about about the things i write it's you know it's i think uh, other people's voices are necessary to make something more universal i think that's beautiful so tell us how you ended up at lionsgate and how this is kind of like the full circle Got of it. ucla classes so, okay, so while I was at UCLA, after the EV, while I was paying for my own courses, I started writing, you know, I just started cranking out into my portfolio, yeah. just writing more and writing more and getting into the practice of just continuing to write. And you're writing um, what, like pilots? Like yeah. I know for a while you you had this like exciting pilot that you didn't want to tell me about, that it was like, was it political in nature? Yeah, or lawyers? Political. Did the lawyers was, come back in? No, it was, it's yeah. political in nature. Yeah. Um, you know, it was about this Chinese American vice president. Uh, it's a drama based, uh, also very deeply rooted in fatherhood. Yeah. And I developed it at UCLA, and uh, I, after a year and a half of taking those courses, after the Emerging Voices Fellowship, that's when I decided to apply to school. Okay. That's when I decided, okay, I have an adequate enough portfolio of sample work that I have created that I can now send over, uh, you know, as my, my, my sample. Writing. Why was it always Oxford? Why was it, has it been seven years of Oxford? Um, honestly, I just, I, this idea of being a global writer, mm-hmm. of not being tokenized, yeah. of sending a blind submission into this process where Oxford doesn't, DGAF doesn't give a you know fudge mm. about affirmative action yeah uh i i didn't want to be ever sort of thought of as the person who is the diversity yeah the diversity hire like yeah. you got the job yeah because of the color of your skin so yeah. exactly that i wanted to 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 aim for the the program that was customized to the things i wanted to explore yeah and so my writing feels very global. I'm very interested into the, in the intersectionality of, of what it means to come from different countries, of what it means to speak different languages, of what it means to clash with all that, um, and how you sort of mix it all up and coexist and how it's messy. Uh, and I thought, what better way than to get out of this country for a bit and meditate on that yeah. globally. Yeah. And so I've always I've always been keen on on, on, on you know on, on the pro in the program and it was the only program I wanted to apply to. And you did it. Yeah. And you got in. Yeah. So then, how did you end up at Lionsgate? 
it's part of the Oxford program. Yeah, so part of the Oxford program, I, um, I, it's a two-year master's in, in writing. I'm emphasizing in dramatic writing for television. Uh, and, um, and it's a low res, like you go, how yeah, it's, work? so it's low res, um, which means what? Well, it, it's very rigorous low res. Um, I had to fly out to London six times in one year. Okay. So that was six round trips and that's in on just your own one dime. year. That's on my own dime. Yeah. Yeah. So living in DC and New York, I, it's more accessible now for okay. me to fly from there to mm -hmm. London. Mm hmm so uh, the second year, it's it, it the, the the trips sort of cut in half, and okay. I only have to be there four times, okay. or three, three or four and times. And is it two weeks at a time, a month? What is yeah, it? it's a a week at a time. Okay. Um, and you um, you know, one of the things that also drew me to that program is that um, very similar to the EV uh, structure, it's you got to do it on your own. Yeah. You know, it's. There's no real hand-holding. It's yeah. work that you have to assign to yourself, and, and you are, are committing to do it yeah. on your own, right? Yeah. So You get out what you put in. Yeah, and yeah. so you get a reading list, and you have to do the assignments, and uh, when you go there, you're there for 10 hours a day um, in session, in courses, meeting with your tutors, you know, debating and 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 then talking about different writers and different styles and different genres, mm. um, and so there's no one set formula. But this uh, this idea that you have to do it on your own really turned me on, okay. because the world for me is not uh, the luxury of being able to take two or three years off uh, from your life to go dive deep into your craft doesn't seem sustainable to yeah, me. Yeah, right. Yeah, right? It's, yeah. it, you have to figure out how to hold both things in both, in two hands, and, and continue to do that. I totally agree with that. And so, yeah. I am not a huge advocate of grad school, where you have to pause your life. Yeah. I'm a huge advocate of programs like EV, where you can actually practice what it means to, to find a way to continue your life and figure out the sustainability aspect of it, the financial, the relationships, yeah. you know, things, the, all the sort of maintenance work you have to do in order to dedicate a life to your craft. Yeah. Um, and so I learned that and it affirmed for me that EV um, was that process. And so I wanted to extend that again. Yeah. Um, and and the, my grad program does that. Okay. So Lionsgate. Okay. Yeah. So um, my part of my second year, um, I have to, we have to do a placement, sort of an observership. And uh, because of Emerging Voices Fellowship and being introduced to the UCLA Extension Program and continuing that on my own, I met Lee Holland, who is, uh, was, is one of the professors in the Extension Writing Program mm -hmm. for television, took his course. That's where I pitched my idea for a show which I ended up writing as a sample for Oxford, got in, looped back in with Lee, continued to have that relationship with him as a professor, um, you know, met up for coffee, had lunch, and then... So you, like, email, would email him and say, hey, do you want to meet up for coffee? Like, yeah, okay. like, as, you know, he's yeah. my, he was my professor, yeah. and, and I got to... put yourself to, out there. Yeah, yeah, I got to know him that way, and I had built up the confidence of what it's like to actually... Um, you know, talk to other writers or other professionals yeah. 
uh, through EV um, and asking sometimes personal questions or questions that I'm wrestling with because I'm so thirsty to know how other people have wrestled with them. And so I really, when I met with him, I was just like, you know, yo, Lee, like, talk to me about your job and how you navigate your relationship with your partner and yeah. do you want to be a father yeah and what <laughs> it's kind like of, your first question what for kind everybody. of questions <laughs> i know but like you know yeah. but i'm like yeah. how do you do that yeah because i need mentorship yeah and i um i don't know how people do this thing called life yeah where you are required to put food on the table not only for yourself but with your partner potentially yeah and potentially a family. Like tiny people. Yeah, yeah. tiny humans. Yeah. And so Who literally you know, can't go get the food. Sure. Themselves. Yeah. But you know, that idea is so um it is so is so uh like I just need examples. Yeah. And so I continued that that lesson and inquiry, even with him post E V, post UCLA. Yeah. And uh when the time came for me to find a placement at Oxford you know, I connected with him and I emailed him and I, I, I would keep in touch. And I said, you know, there's this uh, thing I, I want to do. And I'm wondering if I can come back to L.A. and shadow you for two weeks and see what you do and how you navigate the world of television on the back end. Mm-hmm. Because it's such a mystery how studios work, how broadcast works, broadcast networks work how a pitch works, you know, what does it mean for a writer to pitch an idea? What does it mean for a writer to take a general meeting, not with a publisher or an agent, but with an executive at a television studio? Yeah. You know, how do you develop those relationships um, in order to potentially tell story in the future in a writer's room with other writers or your own? So Are you allowed to tell us, like, I know you you signed the NDA, but, like, are you allowed to tell us... Because you were, you've been shadowing Lee, and you've seen, you've seen some meetings, and it surprised you, because I think we see on TV like what those meetings look like, and it's not what happens. No, so I mean, you know, very much like, I would say. The writers' community advocates for this idea of relationship building, yeah. right? Of yeah. real community. Um, you know, in Evie, we we learn what it's like to connect with an agent. Um, with, you know, how to, you know, make connections with other writers or other uh, groups that are forming these sort of like reading series, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, in, in television, it's it's sort of the same. It's it's people meeting people. And, you know, I always refer back to this Regina Spector lyric. I know Regina Spector is old school, but she's also awesome. I, yeah, yeah, but she's awesome, right? Mm-hmm. This I, This lyric where she says, people are just people. They shouldn't make you nervous. Yeah. And uh, I have now been able to sit in rooms where other writers are taking general meetings with the studio or um, or, or pitching. And it's casual. Right. It's it's, it's not like e- this frenetic thing. That no, it's told. effervescent. It's 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 natural. It's it's a calming sort of energy of, of, of getting to know each other. And I now feel invited into that in a way that I didn't before because I was afraid of it. Yeah. Right? And so this idea of like peeking in behind the scenes, at the root of that is the EV program, which has now sort of, you know, opened the door even wider for me to be able to partake in such opportunities. I'm now customizing even more so how I can exist in the world as a writer. 
and how I can navigate these rooms where I won't sabotage myself. Right, right. I think that the the thing that the, at the at the root of emerging voices is the room. It's like being in the room. It's FaceTime. It's me looking at you across this tiny table and talking about writing and talking to other writers, publishers, agents. You know, it's that we don't do this alone, right? right? It's like yeah. this this idea that sure, writing is such a private, rigorous exercise, yeah. but that we also have to exist in the world. Yeah. And in community and we can't do this alone. Yeah. And so how do we, you know, um, build synapses with one another where we can all succeed together? Yeah. And it's not like whose candle is going to be lit because right. there's only one match. Yeah, right. It's like yeah. how can we light all our, our, our candles together? Why do you think... I, I was at a meeting today, and, and we you and I talked about this earlier about unpopular stories and I said like there's a way of looking at emerging voices where it's a bunch of you know it's 146 people unpopular people writing unpopular stories because they're not the status quo they're not you know uh, white middle class stories yeah so why are they so important great especially now I know that's what I was gonna yeah. say right it's um they're dangerous yeah. They're dangerous because they're not, the volume is not turned up on them mm -hmm. uh, culturally, politically, um, globally. And these are stories of, you know, of, of people not only who sure live on the margins, but people who are really inquiring into different experiences of human, you know, nature. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I, I really think these sort of unpopular stories are, and unpopular people are really people who have not been in the trajectory of our history, of American history, mm. have been given the microphone to speak. Right. I think what we're doing is we're really honing in on our craft to be excellent. Yeah. But more so, we are clarifying... Who, who our voices who what our voices are yeah and what we want to say you know individually all of us exist at some sort of intersection right like i i talk about latinx son of immigrants esl queer but also i'm 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 afraid of fatherhood right <laughs> you I, know yeah. and it's which like which is like and, universal and, yeah. and, and, which is universal the universal part but you know people people like me whether they are dreamers or whether they are um you know victims of some sort of system that's working against them politically and culturally when we slip through those cracks and we're able to actually get close to the mic it, it is a tremendous moment i mean i think about certain even cultural moments, uh, not just literary, but even, you know, cin cinematically, like even just like Coco and Dear and, and, and Crazy Rich Asians and yeah, Black Panther yeah. and sort of like these sort of like real giant moments that are happening culturally where somebody is getting getting up to a mic and telling a different story mm. and, and how successful that, they, that that is, right? Yeah. And so... Yes, I think that the 150 of us, 150 plus yeah. Emerging Voices Fellows, um, have been given permission to approach the mic. Yeah. And uh, that in itself, that invitation has not existed yeah. before. Yeah. And it is 
It is an invitation that has the capacity to change the way we think about different communities, the way that we practice compassion, the way that we even invite somebody to the table. Right? Yeah. So I think it's important now. I mean, politically, for every every obvious reason. Yeah, yeah, you know, and one of the things that I'm currently meditating on is this idea of shame. I feel like there is a step in a lot of writers' lives, uh, our lives, where we have to put aside this fear that our voice isn't worth hearing. Right. Or that our voices aren't worth listening to, or that nobody wants to hear my voice at the mic. Right. And I want to eradicate that fear and work on eradicating that shame. And I I do that with myself too, right? Um, I remember pre-2016 when I thought Hillary was going to win the election and I suddenly started questioning the things I was writing Mm. and I thought well we live in a post-racial world and a world that is actually very inclusive of LGBTQ lives Mm. and suddenly that shifted and suddenly that changed right and not only was my family being attacked for being, you know, my, my parents just became American citizens right. three years ago. But um, just this weekend, me and my boyfriend, who is a black man, were walking down downtown Los Angeles this weekend as he's visiting from New York City and getting breakfast. And this white guy approaches us from the back and literally whispers, bunch of sissies. I could beat you right now and nobody would do a thing about it. Mm. And it's moments like that that always sort of bring me back into this, not a rage, but like a, an assignment, right? Of saying like, I have the ability to step up to the mic. Mm. And if I say something, can it help shift one perspective? Right. Can it help show people that, hey, I think about fatherhood too. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to change your world, man. I'm not trying to take something away from you. I've got questions. And maybe we got the same question. And maybe we're afraid of the same thing. Yeah. And and you don't even want to listen to me. But, you know, I, I think about that responsibility. And I think about sort of resources that have been shared with me. And, and how I can really utilize those resources, that, that there is a clear path potentially for me, and, 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 and why not take a step towards it. Mm-hmm. And so I have a lot of friends who have even thought about applying to EV, mm-hmm. Emerging Voices, and they don't. Yeah. And I, I just think about it and I go, there is this tremendous opportunity, and we need you. Yeah. And we need all these different voices. Like, it's not, it's not like, you know, when we talk about diversity, I think that that word is so expansive because it's not just queerness. It's not just people of color. It's not just race. It's disability. It's ability. It's, it's income level. It's class. It's age. It's trauma. It's It's trauma. It's mental illness. It's It's, things you can't see with your eyes. It's, it's, you know, uh, it's, it's, yes. And so that idea of diversity is is can be cracked open 
because we we there's so much work to do mm-hmm. and i get so excited when we hear a new voice you know out in space and and i think wow thank god that that person is saying something mm-hmm. i i celebrate all those voices mm-hmm. and uh I, I i i would just hope to say that if somebody is really battling with this idea of shame and questioning their their worth their worth that you reevaluate and and you give yourself the opportunity to try it yeah because we need to counter um this idea of isolationism by providing a lens to the humanities that this idea that like we we are all part of this together yes (laughs) all right so maybe i tried to prep you with for your writing exercise but like do you have something that you know is kind of based off of that idea of shame and the power of story personal story what do you got yes if you don't i don't care i actually want to give my reading recommendation okay perfect can i do that of course all right so and then maybe it'll lead into an exercise okay so um in my in my oxford reading list which, by the way, was over 100 books in one year. Okay. It's, like, not even possible. Right, right. Um, one of the books that I read is called A Responsibility to Awe okay. by Rebecca Elson. So I totally recommend this book to everybody. Um, again, a, a Responsibility to Awe by Rebecca Elson. Uh, Rebecca Elson was an astronomer, um, and she's an American, and was accepted to Cambridge and went to go study... Uh, at Cambridge and then started working at at the Hubble um, Space um, Telescope is that what it's called? At Harvard. I, sure. At yeah. Harvard. Yeah. Um, afterwards. All these fancy school names. Sh- sure. But, yeah. but the thing is that Rebecca was started writing poetry mm. as an astronomer mm. and she was diagnosed with cancer mm. in her early 30s and she wrote about being diagnosed with cancer while thinking of astronomy and being a woman in her field, which, you know, isn't very common, mm-hmm. and knowing she was going to die. And so there's this beautiful b- b- one book. It's it's the only book that's ever been published by Rebecca Elson mm-hmm. that her, I think her husband published post-mortem um, that just is took my breath away because this idea of you know, that we all have such vastly different lives and that even an astronomer can think of poetry. Mm, That even a person that is battling cancer can think of poetry. Um, It's so beautiful to me. Yeah. And uh, that we all have a responsibility to awe and what gives us that that moment of awe in our place in the world. And so um, my exercise is to go read her book. Yeah, okay. <laughs> to yeah. buy it. It's yeah. a very small book, yeah. but it's it it ends with a letter that she wrote right before she died. This I feel like I'm going to be sobbing. But, but also beautiful. But tremendous because yeah. the task, the assignment for her was how do I continue to think about beauty while facing the mortality, end. the yeah. end. Yeah. And facing questions of the universe. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like it would be comforting yeah, to, to be confronted with the universe and, like, the idea of being a speck. Totally. But also, you know, like, this is her voice at the mic. Yeah. Is this tender, quiet voice thinking about the universe and writing poetry 
while fighting cancer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I think about diversity, I'm like, yeah, Rebecca Olsen is definitely part of that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And also, you know, it's like, think about your, your own response to awe. Like even, you know, what are the things that, that, that bring you awe? Like where, what does that moment feel like, you know? Yeah. And it can be tiny, right? Tiny. It can be, it can be expansive. I, uh, I'm currently, you know, exploring what BDSM means to me. Yeah. I am in awe of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I am approaching it with this sort of like curiosity and awe of like, oh my God, here's another <laughs> community yeah, yeah, yeah. that is so expansive yeah. that I can approach and maybe write about. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. I love it. But Listen, anyways. if we're going to end this, this podcast on any note, it's going to be BDSM. Yes. Oh my God, Victor, I love you. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye. Pen America champions the freedom to write and believes that freedom of expression and literature are inseparable. Visit pen.org to learn more about what we do. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Join us. Be a part of the larger conversation. Support for EV comes from sources both big and small. Serious financial support comes from organizations like the Amazon Literary Partnership, California Arts Council, New Balloon and Catapult, Los Angeles County Arts Commission, the Ovation Foundation, Pasadena Literary Alliance, the Rosenthal Family Foundation, and UCLA Extension Writers Program. And let's not forget individuals like Jamie and David Wolf. We appreciate you. To the Emerging Voices themselves, this podcast is in support of everything you do and everything you've accomplished. Congratulations. We celebrate you. Thanks to 2012 EV Johnny Alfie for giving us our theme song, Linen, from his band, Tony and Johnny. And to the members of the Los Angeles literary community who have been showing up for us for more than 20 years, donating their time as mentors, committee members, author evening hosts, and masterclass instructors, I have leaned on each and every one of you for advice, and I appreciate you. You've been there to answer my questions, those of the fellows, as well as the questions of prospective applicants. You've written letters of recommendation, introductions, outreach essays, and blog posts. You've encouraged EVs to read at your events and said yes when we've asked you to read at ours. And to Dave Thomas, everything we know about public speaking, we learned from you. This is all just to say, thanks LA, sincerely. <laughs>